how do you know what is true and what is false? How do you know what is true and what is false? In 1996, David Mickelson, founder of the website Snopes.com, founded it with the goal to help people discern what is true and what is false. Their website says, when misinformation obscures the truth and you don't know where to go or who to trust, trust Snopes. They will set you to the right path so you can trust them to give you the right information to make the best informed decision. Well, I don't know if you've ever been there, but sometimes they can be helpful. Fact-checking has become big business with information coming at us faster than ever before. Sites like Snopes or factcheck.com, even now Google has a resource page to help fact check. Where do you go when you're not sure who to listen to or who to trust? Well, if you're writing a research paper, your professor will say, hey, you need to go to the original source. Maybe if Maybe you go to Siri. We've all got that on our phones. Or maybe you call your parents or phone a friend or ask your spouse. Whatever it is, we all need help finding what is true. So today, we are going to look at 1 John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there with me. Um, as I kind of recap where we have been through 1 John up to this point, uh, 1 John chapter 4, the elderly apostle is writing to the church of Ephesus who are having a hard time discerning what is truth and what is error. The church is not sure how to distinguish those who are truly followers of Christ and those who were false teachers in the church. Those who were coming into the church teaching things that were actually leading people away from Christ and from his church. So it, now the church is faced with the question, how do we know what is true and can we have confidence in that truth? So as John progresses through this letter, he has now taken the focus off us which has been up to this point, and how we can know we have the Spirit of God, which gives us assurance of faith. And now John places the spotlight on others, specifically how we can recognize the Spirit of God in the teachers that we hear. And that's where we pick up our text today. So I want to invite you again to turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start... In verse 1, John says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, 
which you have heard is coming, then even now is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Well, I think as we walk through the passage, just to give you an idea of where we are heading, I think the main idea is this, that, that John wants us to see. So the main idea is those who are from God confess Christ and listen to his teaching. But those who are from the world listen to false teachers. He gives us this contrast. And again, the, the main idea is those who are from God confess Christ and listen to his teaching. But those who are from the world listen to false teachers. So how do we test truth and error? How do we test it? How do we know what is true and what is false? John wants his readers to take these tests and apply it in two specific ways and really leads to our outline today. So how do we discern truth and error? I think this is one in this text is that we test the spirit of all teachers. So we test the spirit of all teachers. And I think we'll unpack that in two different ways as we look at through that test. A true confession is of Jesus is from God, but a false confession of Jesus is not from God. So that is our, our first test, that we will test the spirits of all teachers. Specifically focusing on the teachers in our lives. But then I think the second test that John wants us to, to look at and to watch out for and listen for is he wants us to test our hearing. He wants us to put on our spiritual hearing aids. So he wants us to test our hearing. And we'll see this really unpacked in two ways. That anyone is from the world listens to the world. But anyone from God listens to his word. So again, the two truth tests that we're going to look at is we're going to test the spirit of all teachers, and then we are going to test your hearing. First, we're going to look at test the spirit of all teachers. In verse 1, John says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. The church apparently was being duped in believing false teachers and false teachings about Christ. They were gullible, and they had accepted false teachings who claimed to be inspired and be from Christ. And John says, don't believe everything you hear. Maybe your parents have said that to you before. Don't believe everything you hear. That's not true. There are some of us, and there are some in the, of the world that are not from God, John says. They had worked their way into the church into the churches there in Ephesus. And John wants them, the believers, to watch out. 
I think this is why that John goes into such detail in chapter 1, reminding his readers of his authority. He says, what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have touched with our own hands concerning the word of life. John is reassuring his authority there that he is someone you can listen to. So John is urging his Christian brothers and sisters to investigate every claim. To see if, if, if it, those who are teaching are from God or if they're false teachers or false prophets. He wants to be crystal clear throughout this passage that there are some that are from God, but there are also some that are from the world. And in fact, John uses those two phrases each six times throughout these six verses. He wants us to take note of the stark contrast between God and his truth and what the world tells us is true. So it says, do not believe, John says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So what spirit is John talking about? You know, I watch a lot of Razorback games, and there is some major Razorback spirit in this area. Is that the spirit that he's talking about? Or does John want them to stop by their local pub and try their favorite spirits on the wall. I don't think those are the type of spirits that John is talking about. John wants his believers to test the spirits to see if they are from God or see if they are from the world. More specifically, I think, we need to take note when John says spirit, uppercase, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, which is given to those who have confessed Christ and believe in him. So we see this even in John chapter 3 at the end of it, right before our passage, where he mentions the, the Spirit first in his book. I think it's also important to understand the role of the Holy Spirit, which is given to empower believers, and it permanently indwells in us and encourages us, sustains us. We see examples of the Spirit at work all throughout Scripture. We see the Spirit at work clearly in the book of Acts. As, as Trey walked through last year, uh, much, of that, uh, much of that book, we see in Acts 2 where we see the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We see in Acts 6 where one of the qualifications for being a deacon is that they would be a person full of the Spirit. Where even elders are identified Equipped and appointed by the Holy Spirit, Paul says. This to the elders in Ephesus. It says, be careful, pay attention to yourselves and the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So we see the Spirit at work in many different ways. The Spirit is given to all believers who help focus our hearts and gives us confidence in Christ alone. And so when John says spirit lowercase, he's referring to the spirit of the Antichrist. We also see this in verse 4, but also in 1 John 2.22. The spirit of the Antichrist is someone who is fundamentally against Christ. 
and his truth. So the spirit of the Antichrist is someone who is against Christ and his truth. And this spirit denies the true gospel and sets themselves up against Christ. So the question that comes up is, well, why should we test these spirits? Well, John is telling you what to do right now as you are listening, sitting here under this sermon or any other sermon or teaching that you hear throughout the week. John wants you to be intentional to test what you are taking in, to test what you are taking in. He wants you to make a judgment call about what you hear as you sit and listen. Do you merely come and you check out when you get to church? Kind of check in on the game as you get here just to make sure your team's winning? Or maybe you're a passive listener. You just come and you're, you're here, but you're not completely. You're thinking about the week and the, the things that are coming up knowing that you'll catch a few things so that as you meet with someone from church during the week, you can at least carry a conversation. Or are you processing it? Are you fully engaged with the teaching? Filtering it, making sure that it lines up with Scripture. Is your Bible open? Are you flipping through the pages as we walk through the text? Notice that John doesn't say, to test the, peer, the Spirit so that you can make sure that whoever is teaching is just really speaking eloquently. No, he says, test the spirits. That we should test the spirits to see if they are from God. So why do we test the spirits? John says, because there may be, they may have false prophets that have gone out into the world. And this shouldn't surprise us. Because in almost every book of the Bible, we see the disciples, we see Jesus warning us about false prophets, about false teachers. We see this in 1 Timothy 4, where Paul says, The Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits in the teaching of demons. So we must test, because there are some that are from God, and there are some that are from the devil. Satan does not announce himself as he's trying to deceive someone. He doesn't come in red tights and a pitchfork. He comes cunningly. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling, prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone that he can devour. Think Genesis 3. We looked at earlier in the year in, in our Bible studies. When they saw, where it says, when they saw the fruit, it was good, and it was good for food. It was a delight to their eyes, and that would make them wise for life. They took and they ate. There are many ideas that look great, maybe Many philosophies that seek to sway you one way or the other from the truth. We have to be aware. We have to test the spirits. Matthew 7.15 says, Be on guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly are ravaging wolves. Or Ephesians 5.6 that says, 
Let no one deceive you with empty arguments. Or Galatians 6, where it says, do not be deceived. Almost every New Testament book gives some warning about being deceived. One commentator says it this way. He says, behind every teacher is a spirit. And behind every spirit is either God or the devil. Before we can trust any spirits, we must test them. Their origin matters. So the spirit stands, the spirit of truth stands in stark contrast to the false spirits. John does not leave us to guess how to discern what is true or what is false. He wants us to know. So he says, this is how you know the spirit of God. Verse 2 says, every spirit that confesses Jesus has, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So two ways that we put the teaching to the test that we hear. Well, the first way is we want to know is it a true confession of Jesus? Is it from God? John wants us to examine the content of their confession. See, a true confession is not only a recognition of Jesus' identity, but also a profession of faith in him. It is a confession that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. John makes the point throughout his letter to note that Jesus has come in the flesh. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way, If Jesus has not been made flesh and dwelt among us, then there was no real humiliation involved in his coming into this world. If he did not limit himself, as it were, to the position of man dependent on God, there is no real meaning in the laying aside of the insignia of the eternal glory. There is no true humiliation. The fact that Jesus came in the flesh is essential to our faith. If Christ did not come in the flesh, if he was not fully God, if he was not fully man, then he could not die for us as a substitute. Mark 1.24, it says, even the spirits believe and recognize Jesus. But even though they knew Jesus, they did not acknowledge them as their Savior. So a right confession, it acknowledges not only that Jesus is the Son of God, but also that he is their Savior. So the Spirit of God always honors the Son of God. If you hear teaching or something that is honoring God in a false way, or fails to honor the Son of God, then that is false teaching. Jesus taught in John 16 that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is both to testify and to glorify Him. So by this, we can test the preaching of the Word. We can test the teaching that we hear. If the result of preaching is to testify and glorify Christ, then 
it is of the Holy Spirit. But if the result of preaching does not testify and glorify Christ, then it is false teaching. Which leads us to our, our second subpoint is that a false confession is not from God. Verse 3 is the exact opposite of verse 2. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God is not from God. We must discern when there is false doctrine. When Paul in 1 Timothy 4 speaks about false doctrine, he says, In later times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and to teachings of demons. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the truth will set you free, but error will destroy you. The truth will set you free, but error will destroy you. So we must recognize not only the source of false doctrine, but also its danger. So a teacher's confession or his denial of the Son reveals whether they are inspired by the Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, or not. Because those who deny Christ and deny that he was the Son of God neither have the Father or the Spirit. And we hear examples of lies every day. You know, in John's day, the apostles most certainly was talking about uh, and speaking to the, is, uh, the issue of Gnostics in the church who were uh, teaching that they did not confess that Jesus Christ actually came in the flesh. Probably a, not a threat to our current context, but uh, it was a sign of the deceiver. They were lies being preached about Christ. It was a false gospel that preached falsely against Jesus. But we see it come in many different forms today. We see it in the prosperity gospel, where it says, Jesus just wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. That is a lie from the deceiver. Or we see the lie in people saying that he was just a good teacher, that he was just an ordinary man, maybe a prophet, but he didn't come to atone for our sins, but merely just set a good example for us to follow. Or maybe it's something like the Mormons that teach that Jesus was created as an angel before the world even existed, and because God the Father had a relationship, he had a son, and Satan was his half-brother. And came and he lived, but he did not possess deity. But he slowly progressed the deity. In a similar way, way, they believe that we can possess the same deity by following just a list of rules. These are lies that the deceiver wants you to believe. And we could go on and on about the lies that we hear every day, whether that's from Things that we listen to or things that we read, they're all around us. Scripture has revealed that Jesus 
to us with great clarity. Over and over again, Jesus taught his own identity very clearly. Jesus, standing before the Sanhedrin, uh, the high priest asked him specifically, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus responds, he said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is very clear who he is. The word is very clear of who Jesus is. False teachers who confess a false Jesus are nothing new. We have had them since the dawn of time. But I think that the church needs to be reminded about the truth about Jesus because we can easily be led astray from the truth. It's clear that the Bible says to test everything. John is, does not mince words. To test. John tells us that you should test me. That you should test every preacher and pastor that stands before you. No one gets a free pass. But not only do you test every pastor, you test every book that you read. You test everything because it is either truth or lies. And we must discern which. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, The time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. That they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. John is writing, he does not want the church to fall prey to these false teachers. And they fell prey to the very thing that Paul warned about. John's command is calling us to continuous action, to discern what is true and what is, what is error. This never goes away in the life of a believer. But it is both true for the individual, but it is also a church-wide responsibility. So as a church, we are to be truth detectives. The responsibility to protect the gospel and to protect truth does not fall to the pastors alone. Every church member is responsible to affirm the gospel, but also to uphold it. So when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Galatia, he chastised the church as not the elders for turning to a different gospel. We see this in Galatians 1, 2, and 6. He held the congregation accountable for allowing error to creep in and distort the gospel in Galatians 1. That doesn't mean that every member has to have a seminary degree, doesn't mean that they have, a, have to have, a, uh, have mastered systematic theology, but every member, every Christian, should be able to articulate and defend the gospel. Paul assumes that every believer will grow and mature in Christ, and this enabling them to discern what is true and what is false. We see this in Ephesians 4, 13 and 14. We see this in Philippians 1. We see great examples of the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 
It says they received the word with eagerness, and they examined the things to see if they were so. They took it, and they examined it. We cannot be spiritual naive about the teaching that we hear. All teaching must be tested. But don't be intimidated about this. Don't be scared about this responsibility because all believers are fully equipped to discern truth from error. You see, John moves from addressing the teachers and their message to the message that they are listening to. In verse 4, he says, You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. John encourages the believers here, reminding them that they are from God. And God is greater than the one who is in the world. Basically, God is greater than Satan. God is greater than the deceiver. And we see this clearly in the plan of redemption. Though we are sinners separated from God, he did not leave us without hope. But he sent his son, Jesus, in the flesh to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we could not die. See, Jesus' death and resurrection defeated sin and death. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead, defeating sin and death, is at work in each of his children. That is what enables us to discern what is truth and what is deception. Because the one who is in us is greater and has already defeated the one who is in the world. This is great news. This should be a comfort to all believers when we are threatened by deception or temptation or discouragement or anxiety, we must remember that he who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. The almighty God abides with us so we can trust him. But the question comes up, how do we remind ourselves of this truth? How do we remind ourselves of this truth? Well, we remind ourselves by listening to truth, which leads us to our next two verses, verses 5 and 6. So we are, they are from the world, therefore what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us, but anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. John wants us to be discerning when it comes to who we listen to. He wants us to test our hearing, to put in our, our truth hearing aids, that we would hear the word. The world recognizes its own people and listens to their message. In Matthew 16, Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asked his people, or his disciples, his people, his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? 
And after there were all sorts of answers, some say Elijah, some say a prophet, Jesus pressed in a little bit more and says, no, no, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you gotta love Peter. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Then Jesus goes on to speak about his death and what will happen. And Peter's, Peter says, oh no, oh no, this will never happen. And what does Jesus say next? He says, you are not thinking about God's concern, but human concerns. He was listening to the world. 1 John 2.15 shows us that worldly thinking desires what is sinful, what is temporary, what is temporary pleasures. And here in 1 John 4, verse 5 and 6, we see the distinction between those who listen to worldly teaching and those who listen to godly teaching. So anyone from God listens to us. Which at first you kind of think like, well, to me? And I think when, he's, when he says us, I think he's referring to the apostles' teaching. So the first test of doctrine is that John argues whether it or not it acknowledges Christ is come in the flesh. And the second test here is whether the message is accepted or rejected, accepted by Christians or rejected by non-Christians to those who do not believe. The apostle is drawing a theological line in the sand. He wants to help his readers and us distinguish between what is right and what is wrong, what is truth and what is error, what is biblical and what is demonic. John is appealing to his authoritative, his authoritative uh, revelation that he has come and his, the, the word has come through the apostles and the prophets, and they are the cornerstone. We see this in Ephesians 2, verse 20. So how do you know you are from God? Well, who has your ear? Who has your ear? Does what you listen to it influence your life? One of the reasons that we gather here on Sundays and on Wednesdays and throughout the week to look into God's word and to study it is that the voices in this world are loud. And we must be intentional to regularly focus and refocus, reorient our lives and our ears on the truth of God's word. It's one of the reasons we're gathered right now. So is your intake of the word restricted to Sundays only? Do you get your kind of spiritual tank filled up so that you're good throughout the week? Or do you go to the scriptures daily? Is there frequency and consistency in your consumption of the word? Or is it like, okay, I got to read through this book once a, once a month because I feel guilty? Because I haven't looked in the Word. You see, we will not make spiritual progress without regular, persistent time in the Word. So you, do you give yourself unhurried time? Do you, 
take time to meditate on it? Or are you rushing into God's word and out of God's word just to get everything you have to done in your day? See, we must be spending time and effort to study, to meditate, and even to memorize scripture. And this will even help us as we try to discern truth from error, as we know God's word better, and it is on our hearts and on our minds. When we hear error, we will be able to quickly identify it. See, our intake of God's word reveals what priority it has in our lives. Do you have a high view of Scripture? Do you take time to be in it? See, what's the loudest voice in your life? Is it God's word or is it something else? What are the voices commanding and and transforming you? What are the voices commanding and transforming your life that you listen to on a daily basis? Are they worldly? Are they temporary pleasures and influences? Or is God's word the voice that is commanding you and transforming you? See, in the last day, only one voice will matter. Will it be the voice of truth or will it be the voice of error? Do you pray with me as I close? Father, your word, it is a lamp unto our feet and Lord, it is a light to our path. We pray that you would sanctify us by your truth. Lord, your word, it is truth, and there is no error in it. Lord, we pray that you would search our hearts, that you would change us, Lord, that you would correct us. Lord, grow us so that we are rooted deep in your word, deep in your truth, that we would believe it and walk by it. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.